This is a reading from Genesis chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, the word of the Lord. About a year ago, we were in the, in the mountains in British Columbia, and I read this wild book by Dale Allison Jr., and some of you might know his name because he's a renowned biblical scholar. He's written numerous, he's like one of these guys who's written like, I don't know, 25, 30 books, whatever. Uh, he's written countless articles and he teaches at the prestigious school of Princeton Theological Seminary. But precisely because of his academic credentials, this book is actually quite shocking, not least because he says that both in the academy and in pastoral work, most of us do not take mysterious spiritual encounters seriously. And he says, look, we're, we're largely polite about this, um, but because we've been swimming in the waters of modernity for so long, we don't talk about these kind of experiences that don't fit our categories, and so we kind of politely brush them off. But in this wild book, which I think he could only have written toward the end of his career, called Encountering Mystery, he makes the claim, and he backs it up with, with data, that just because we aren't talking about these uh, unexplainable spiritual phenomena does not mean that they aren't happening. And so he starts the book by talking about um, three strange experiences that he had. Again, really well-known, respected uh, biblical scholar. And so the first thing that he talks about was when he was 16 years old, and he writes this, I was sitting by myself on my parents' porch under the Kansas night sky. What I was thinking about, I fail to remember. I have not, 
however, forgotten the magical incident that redirected my life. In a moment, and seemingly without preparation on my part, the stars were not far away, but close at hand. Having somehow forsaken the firmament, they were all around me. If not quite animate, they were also not wholly inanimate. And these engulfing lights then announced by what mechanism I do not know, the arrival of an overwhelming, powerful presence. And this presence was forbidding yet benevolent, affectionate yet enigmatic, it suffused me with a calm ecstasy, a sublime elation, and then he quotes Coolridge, a genial holy fear. And then he goes on to say, this experience awaked, uh, awakened me from what I then deemed in retrospect to have been a lifelong slumber. It electrified awareness and bestowed meaning. Giving my cultural context, a word came straight away to mind for this fantastic other. God. When the moment which lasted maybe 20 seconds had passed, I believed that I had run into God or that God had run into me. And he goes on to talk about how this experience actually shaped the rest of his life. And he says this, without that experience, I do not know where I would be today, but my life would not, I am sure, be the same Ultimately, then, I am a professor at a seminary, not so much because I have the requisite credentials, but because the stars came down one night when I was 16 years old. And so I was sitting there and I was thinking the other day about Jacob's astounding encounter at Bethel. And I started thinking about Allison's story and the funny thing was, I was going to come tonight and say, you know, I think that maybe this story was something like maybe what uh, Jacob had experienced at Bethel. And so I, I reopened the book after a year and was amazed to see that what I had forgotten was that Allison actually refers to this as his Bethel vision. So I couldn't fall asleep Monday night. And this is a very rare occurrence for me. Uh, I normally fall asleep very quickly and apparently start snoring almost immediately. <laughs> and so on, on this night, I went downstairs to my chair. Yes, I have a chair. <laughs> Marissa gave this to me for Christmas. And I sat in the chair and I began to pray and I began to pray over our church. And over and over again, I prayed, Lord, make us faithful to the people to whom you have entrusted to us and to the things that you have called us to do. Lord, make us faithful to the people you have entrusted to us and to the things that you have called us to do. Uh, Marissa and I had just arrived back from Nashville where we were ordained as deacons in the CEEC, which is a communion of evangelical Episcopal churches in the Diocese of St. Anthony. And so at about you know, one in the morning, I started thinking about uh, what it would mean at All Souls if Marissa and I began to wear collars you know, on a Sunday. Or maybe our stoles and even, you know, vestments on special occasions. 
Caller, by the way, is not a sign of like authority over. It's a reminder um, to the person serving of their call and responsibility to serve their people with humility. And so, you know, I, tonight, I get that not everybody gets the liturgy, um, gets these ancient practices. I get that not everybody gets the vestments and all this kind of thing. Some of you, though, I know, have been on a journey and have fallen in love with the, you didn't come from this, but you've fallen in love with the liturgy, and some of you have told me you've, you've really, in particular, fallen in love with the table, and this has become a deeply meaningful and special time, and you encounter God there. Uh, others of you, however, have told me that you love all souls, but you could totally leave the liturgy. And so I was thinking about this and I was thinking about our, our, our own journey. And at the same time, though, I was thinking about uh, that we haven't actually like left. I, I, w- I wouldn't explain it this way. We haven't exactly left Pentecostalism to become Anglican. Uh, for us, it's actually all a part of the same journey toward the mystery of God and encountering mystery in greater and greater ways. And so I begin to think of how some of you do love the liturgy but you could leave all that charismatic stuff behind. Um, you have no problem crossing yourselves and bowing at, at the appropriate moments in the service. But the thought of somebody speaking in tongues or giving, God forbid, a prophetic message in the middle of the service totally freaks you out. And so I sit there praying and, and the remembrance of this Sunday's text hit me with just such deep joy that God often meets us in the places where we least expect God to meet us. As Jacob, unsuspecting and unprepared for a meeting with the divine, said, surely the Lord is in this place and I was unaware of it. And so... As I was praying for you Monday night in in the midst of trying to figure out our own kind of ecclesial journey, I began to pray that God would meet you in places where you least expect God to meet you. And that God would surprise you in the midst of some of the practices that some of you are wary of or have written off. And I sat there praying this at one in the morning and I found it both hilarious and moving like all at once. But my prayer for you all souls is that you would encounter God in moments and in places, even in church of all places, where you maybe you least expect to find God, that you would be overcome. We, we want to contend for the presence of God in this place. But not only in this place, but also... Um, outside of this place and in the world that you would meet God in unexpected ways and places there too. Uh, Our gospel reading today is an interesting one. Jesus tells this parable about good wheat that is sown in the field, which is good for harvesting, but it's growing right alongside a bunch of these, a bunch of these weeds. And so God, we're told, is the one who has sown the good seeds, while the enemy has come and actually purposely sown bad seeds so that weeds could come up right amongst the good weed. And, and we're told that actually at the end of things, the good will remain, but for now, the good and the bad grow together. And isn't this true? 
Aren't our lives filled with the contradiction of blessing and frustration, of joy and tears? Aren't there always weeds? Doesn't it seem that way sometimes amongst the good? Like the good things happen. It's like, oh my goodness, couldn't we, could we have not lived in that for a few more days before the weeds came up again? And yet, friends, God can unsuspectingly surprise us in the places where we find the weeds of life entangling us. I'll never forget returning to Atlanta, Georgia um, after we buried my dad. And we got back. I mean, it was, just, it was a traumatic time, still very deep in grief. And Marissa and I got back and we led worship that Sunday, which was an emotional and draining, albeit good, experience. And then we sat and we listened to the sermon and then we went home. And when we got home, I was just, just exhausted and just so deep in grief. And so I decided, um, I, I was running a lot at the time, but I hadn't rode my mountain bike in a long time. And so I decided maybe I'll take my bike out and see if I can, you know, get some endorphins going or something and, and, uh, and just get in a bit of a better place here. And so I took my bike and I always rode, I, I would run. Everybody said, don't run down, you know, you're running in the bad part of the city, which is apparently the poor part of the city. I didn't find it bad. So I didn't listen to anybody and I ran there anyway. And so I took, I took my bike down there and uh, goodness, just processing my dad's death. He was, he was sick, diagnosed, died five and a half weeks later, very traumatic journey getting there. And so I took my bike out and at one point I hopped off my I hopped off my bike, and I, I think because I hadn't ridden it in so long, I'm just like, wow, this is harder than I remember. And I, and I get off my bike, and I'm walking with it, and I see this guy in the distance, and he looks me in the eye, and we're, we're still quite a distance away, but he looks me in the eye, and God forgive me, I thought, I don't have the energy to deal with this today. The dude was in a, in a dirty tank top, frail, smoking a cigarette, walking along. And, and so in, I just thought, he's coming to ask me for money. I don't have money. I just, I don't want to deal with this. And he gets closer. And in my mind, I'm rehearsing like I don't, I'm wearing biking shorts. I don't have pockets in them. I don't have money. You know, I'm, the whole thing. And we finally come up to each other and he looks me in the eye and he grabs my forearm and he looked me straight in the eye and he said it's going to be okay you're going to be okay everything is going to be okay and he let go of my arm and he continued on his journey and I stood there just utterly stunned and he was probably like 30 40 50 feet behind me and I just I I turned around and I looked and I I didn't know what else to do so I said I see Jesus in you (laughs) and he and he whipped back around he looked at me and he said he's in you too 
And he threw his head back and he laughed and he laughed and he laughed. And surely the Lord is in this place and I was unaware. And we have these moments where God surprises us when we least expect it and not because we prepared for it, not because we prayed ourselves into it. I'm, I'm, believe me, I am all for prayer. But the encounter of the Lord is not a thing that we just make happen. God surprises us and we realize that God has been here all along, but we had the blinders on and couldn't see. And so in a world where wheat and weeds grow together, where joy and sorrow commingle. I pray that at the moments and places where you least expect it, that God will run into you, as Allison says. And when the weeds of life feel like they will strangle you, I pray you will have a Bethel moment and you will know the nearness of God in the middle of the night. And tonight, for the Spain hours in particular, as you move forward in this journey toward the unknown, I pray that God will find you in the most ordinary moments or the most frustrating moments. And you, like Jacob and like Dale Allison Jr., will say, God ran into me. You will say, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was unaware of it. And I pray that these experiences these encounters with God will carry you forward and will shape your life and that they will shape the life of your children, Nolan, Luke, Bethany. Because God is nearer to you and God is nearer to us than we could ever imagine. And so I pray that your eyes will be opened to see in new and astounding days, in ways in the days and weeks and months and years to come. That God is so close to you and that his presence will carry you through every step of the way. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.